All right. So uh, if you're in Activate a couple weeks ago, I um, talked about how um, the, the topic of God is good. Um, if you were there, great. If you missed it, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Y'all need to get it. We have room. Yes. Anyway, so um, we talked about how God is good and how um, our culture has kind of shown us that either God is an angry God who wants to punish us or he's just this, um, this absent father who just lets whatever go on and then he just kind of shows up at the end and says, oh, why'd this happen? And, and those, both of those are, are wrong. Our culture has done that. And, um, you know, a lot of churches have, have preached God is angry, God wants you to blah, 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 you're going to suffer because God is angry. He's going to put sickness on you, and that's not who God is. And, and then the opposite end of the coin is God is just this absent father who created a bunch of kids um, and left them to their own. And we see that in the world. We see that is the, the status quo for children in the world now is to have, have you know, fatherless homes and that are run, and these kids grow up not knowing who their dad was or not having a good father. And that's not who God is. Um, but God is good, and he loves us. And he says, in Isaiah 61, it says his face shines upon us. Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, his face shine upon us or his, turn his face to you, that means God's favor is on you, that his favor was on the children of Israel, that he was, he was turning his face towards them because his affection was towards them his eyes were towards them and when his face would shine upon them it wasn't a in the old testament is when god turned his face is because he was upset about what happened didn't mean that he didn't love them but he was upset what was going on and when he turned his face from them everything broke loose they were taken into captivity i don't know how many times southern kingdom northern kingdom southern kingdom gets destroyed northern kingdom gets destroyed because what they were doing was wrong in the sight of god but then multiple times in the Old Testament, you see when God would turn his face, when his people repented and called on him and made them, and he made him their God again instead of making the false idols their God. So I want, I want you guys to um, take what I'm going to talk about with inside of that mindset that God is good and he loves us no matter what we do. Um, I think that's, it's got to be the premise of, of what... Uh, um, how we relate to what is going to be said today, because if we don't, it can be offensive. And if it's offensive to you today, you need to either do this, reevaluate how you believe in God or how you think of who God is, or say, am I not lining up with what God has asked me to do? And that's everybody. Yeah. That's, that's our entire life, is having to realign ourselves with God. Too many times, and we're all guilty of it, we, we get into emotion, we get into um, anger, whatever it is, and we divert ourselves out of God's plan, and we have to realign ourselves with what he is doing. So in Matthew 6, or excuse me, Matthew 16, and this is also parallel in the Gospel of Mark in 8.34, and Jesus says in, in verse 24, he says, take up your cross and he said this to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, which means to follow me, to, to serve me, he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever gives, loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, have you ever heard that old song, What Would You Give in Exchange for Your Soul? If you haven't, go find it. It's a good song. No, that's not. No. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, my wife's just spouting off random uh, song uh, artist here trying to. Um, it's an old, it's an old uh, bluegrass song, and it says, what would you give in exchange for your soul? And it talks about different things, and it's a really old song. It's about 60, 70 years old, but it's a really good song, and it, it, it hits home on a reminder of what are you willing to give up for your soul to be lost. What Jesus is saying, he says, you have to give up everything for me. That's, that's, a, stupid, that's a stupid song. <laughs> Apparently, she likes songs that aren't as good as the songs I like, so... Um, so, yeah. anyway, so Jesus is saying, give up everything. You know, that, that, there's that one scripture, and I can't remember right offhand where is it, and Jesus calls and says, follow me, and the young man says, can I at least do this first? And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, for it is time for you to follow me. And what he's saying is, is you ha- cannot live the life you lived before. He's saying, he's not saying, let the, you know, you can't bury your father. He's saying there's some, it's kind of a, it's kind of a euphemism for something else. But Jesus is saying you have to give up your life to follow me. You have to give up everything. And that sounds really harsh because people are like, oh, I have to give up everything. Here's the thing is, there's an exchange for your soul. Jesus died on the cross for exchange for your soul. For you. And so when we look at that, we have to say, what am I willing to lay down to pursue Jesus? What am I willing to give up that I love, that I want to do to pursue him? You know, when Jesus is saying that, he says, you have to lay down your hopes, your dreams, your goals for me. And a lot of people are like, I... I love him, but I'm not willing to lay that down. People are like, I got financial goals, I got family goals, I got my life goals, and I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I've got my five-year plan, I've got my 10-year plan, I've got to chart it all out. I get, it's so funny because I get people, we have, every now and then we'll get somebody that comes to church and they'll come for a while and they'll be like, so what's the, what's the five-year plan of the church? I said, I don't have a five-year plan. I said, we, have, we take it year by year. I said, whatever God is leading us to do at that time and at that moment, we will do. The problem is, is when we make a five-year plan, that five-year plan starts with this and not this. The pro- when, what happens is, is I've watched too many churches say, oh, wait, this is a, at this year we're going to do this, and at this year we're going to do this. Really? Are we forcing the hand of God, or are we using our hand? And I'm not saying God doesn't work within those, but I'm saying is, We've got to quit force trying to force God's hand in how we want our life to be. Well, I want to make this at this time, and I want to pay off my house at this time. Everybody wants us to pay off their house early. But what God does in our lives is different. Sometimes it's, we don't pay off the house early. Sometimes we don't get the jobs we want. Sometimes our life doesn't work the way it does, but it says all things work together for good to those who love him. And so I think what happens is, is we try to align ourselves with God, but then step out and say, okay, well, I need you to do this for me. I have this plan. 
and I want you to do it for me. So my goal is to have this kind of car and this house and this financial setup, and I need you to do this for me. And too many times we treat God as a waiter instead of waiting on God. And so what we do is we go to God and say, I want this, and it's kind of like the, we, we kind of treat him like the genie in Aladdin. Oh, I need you to do this for me, and I need you to do this for me, and I need it to, to appear now. And, you know, what happens is, is the new, the new, the new fay, uh, phrase in Christian culture is I manifested it because I, I kept talking about it and believing about it. And I'm like, mm, you manifested something, but it wasn't what you, uh, what you were believing for. You ever seen something manifest in somebody? I have. That's manifesting. That's what well, the problem is. We've taken phrases of the world and of, of culture and brought them into the church and said, this is how I'm going to do this. This is how we're going to talk about it. This is how what's cool for the, the, the day. You know, Sarah and I, um, at, when I'm at work sometimes, we send reels back and forth to each other. And usually it's me on my lunch break sending like a mass, like 50 of them real quick to her. I'm like, yep, that's funny. Click, click, send, send, send. And my girls can tell them the same thing because Layla usually looks at them at night when she gets home. And then there's like smiley face, laugh, like, you know, different things like that. Cause, and then so I, I send things, but I'm watching culture through that. And I'm watching what's happening in our churches and watching what is acceptable and not acceptable in churches. I'm watching the, the church take on culture and what the world is doing and, and everything that is happening in the world and saying, oh, it's but because God is love. He is love. But there's so, lo, God, the love of God is not the acceptance of God. You know, we live in a church culture that the church, we come to church and it's about getting fulfilled instead of coming to the church to lay down at the altar before God. I need my needs met instead of laying down at the altar before God and saying, I'm, I'm laying down my cares, my worries, my desires at the altar of God and at his feet and let him take over my life. Let him lead my life instead of me asking him to partner with me every now and then. And that's the biggest problem is you guys and the church we're asking him to partner with us every now and then instead of to lead us. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. We do that. We do our own thing and we got, I need you to, I need you to be in this because I messed it up a little bit and I need you to fix it for me. But we don't, we should not be coming to church to, to have God fulfill our dreams and our needs. He says, I, I'm asking you to give this up. He says, if you Deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. What deny yourself means is deny the things that you always want to do. Taking up your cross means that you're going to live like him, live for him. What happens is the, the, the culture has taught us to come to church to receive instead of, come to the, to, to, instead of coming to church to give. We live in a very selfish culture. You can't go on any form of entertainment without seeing everything is for you. You deserve this. You've earned this. You, you, and, and I hate to hear it every time I'm like, I'll be sitting at work and I have like, I, they, we have this company that sends us like little promotional things. 
and one of them is like this little globe looking stress ball. And I'll be sitting in, in, at work typing and then I'll hear somebody, but, but it's just my best life. And I'm just like, mm. and I'm just like I'm, like, I'm living my best life. And I'm like, there is nothing biblical about my best life. Or just do you. Just do you. And I'm just like, there isn't, and I'm just like, and I'm frustrated because these are people that are, are supposed to believe in God and follow God, but they've picked up the mindsets and the, and the, the ways of the world and said, oh, okay, you know, like this one person, oh, it's just karma. I'm like, there's no th such thing as karma. I'm sorry. Karma doesn't come back. Do you understand what karma is? Anybody know what that is? It's, you lived a horrible life at, at one point, and now you have, you lived horrible now you live in poverty. That's why in India, if they see a beggar, they will not give them money or they'll not give them food because they believe that they deserved that in the, in the prior life. So what happens is, is the church has, has started to use phrasing and, and culture to make it popular to come to church. Like, oh, if you come to church, you're going to get, you know, everybody gets a free Apple Watch or, you know, uh, I'm just making stuff up. But what happens is we've, we've made it promotional to come to church. And we should consider, and instead of being, oh, I have to go to church, it should be an honor to go to church, to worship, to fellowship with each other. Revelation 4, 10 through 11 says this, says 24 elders fall down before he who is seated at the throne and worship him. They're talking about the elders in Christ. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by you, excuse me, and by your will they ex ex existed and were created. Our needs are, are going to be met at church. And I, I wanted to explain this. We, we don't rely on people for our needs to be met. We rely on God for our needs to be met. People will, will fail you, will leave you, desert you. But what happens is this. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's right. So what happens is, is when you come to church and you, oh, nobody talked to me. Well, who did you talk to? Yeah, that's a good day for me. I mean, come on. I'm just saying. Like people like, John asked me one day, he's like, how was work today? I said, I got in, I got out, and I didn't have to stay over. And he's like, okay. I'm like, it was pretty good. I only had three phone calls. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it was great. There was only one meeting, and it lasted 10 minutes. I'm like, yes. I got in trouble at work one time. I, I said, why are we having four-hour meetings for something that can be handled in 15 minutes? Well, you can't say that. I said, why not? Because other people listen to you. I said, that's, the part, that's the, my point. I said, that's what I'm trying to do. I said, I'm a little bit of a rabble rouser. I'm sorry. I said, I'm kind of sorry about that, but I'm not. I said, I said, I said why, am I, why are you wasting my time when I could be doing stuff, we're wasting four hours to do something that could be summed up with the golden rule? Well, that, I'm like, I said, I said, summed it up there. And they're like, oh. But we, what happens is, is we spend so much time looking how to get our needs met when we come to church. What we need is some, when we come to church, to look how we can meet that need 
and minister to God. When we come to get our needs met, when we follow Christ and say, I need my needs to be met, that, that is not a um, selfless act. Following Jesus is a selfless act. That means we have to give up a lot of what we desire for him to put things back into our life that line up with what he wants. Because here's the thing is, just because it's not sin doesn't mean that it's not what God wants for it. doesn't mean that it's what God wants for you. You ever had a really good opportunity and you're just like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. You know, like years ago, 20 years, 15 years ago, I had a really good opportunity to make really good money. But I was like, it's going to take me from my family at least 50 to 60 minimum hours a week, Sundays every now and then. And I'm just like, it's not worth it. It's not worth not having a relationship with my family to make a few extra bucks. Because yeah. what, what is that exchange for? money can't buy a new family. It can't buy your kid's love. It can't buy your, the affection of your wife. It can't buy a good marriage. It can't buy any of that. You just spoil them. Oh, my kids are bratty because I'm not here. I'm just going to give them extra money so they behave themselves or, you know, love me. But I could have taken that job. It would have been a, a great moneymaker, but it wasn't what God wanted. But if I had stepped into that, I would have been out of the will of God. For what, not, and, not, and I'm not saying this, it wasn't sin, but I'm saying it's out of the will of God for our family, my life, our kids' life. It would have been, it would have been disastrous. It, we would have had money. We would have had newer cars. We would have had everything paid off. But my family would have been a disaster. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have to see Kevin every week, but, you know. But I wouldn't be funding Kevin's vacations either. <laughs> but our needs have to be secondary when it comes to God. He, he wants our, our love and our affection. And what Amy said, when we love God, he blesses us. He, he takes care of us because it's not because we're buying him off. It's not because we're begging him. It's just because he loves us and is a good God. He blesses us. What happens is when we give up what we desire and say, God, I'm laying this down at your feet. When, I'm lay, when I lay this down at your feet, he picks it up and says, okay, I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to replace it with something else. But he says that God gives you the desires of your heart. Okay, so I want you to explain this. If the desire of your heart is for someone to die and to murder somebody, he's not going to give that to you. He, what, he said, what he means by this is that he's going to give you the desires of your heart if they line up with his goodness and his kindness towards us. So you're like, oh, I hope somebody dies. He's like, that's not the, you're not going to get that, sorry. That's called cursing. You need, to real, you need to reevaluate your relationship with him and talk to him a little bit more. Yep. And repent. Um, <laughs> But when we give up our desires and say, I'm going to lay them down at your feet, uh, the, the mess I have in my life, what I want in my life, I'm going to give that up. He says, okay, let me work with you, and we're going to start to give you new thoughts, new desires, new things. But what happens is this, he will give you the desires of your heart. He's going to give those to you, but it doesn't always happen when we want it. Sometimes we're like, oh, God, I need a new car right now. 
And he's like, well, that's a desire you have, but you can't afford the insurance or the repair cost or the fuel for it. People are like, oh, I need this kind of card. I need this. It's like, but you can't afford the insurance, let alone the car payment. And you can't afford the repairs, let alone the car payment and the insurance. And so what happens is, is people are like, oh, God didn't bless me. No, it's not. God knows what's going to destroy you and what's going to benefit you. You know, Sarah and I were looking at, we were looking at trucks, and I went online, and I looked, because a couple weeks, or last weekend, Lana got in an accident with our truck, and I'm like, I went to look at new trucks. I, I just for the fun, I was like, our truck, what would it, if I went to buy a new one right now? And I was like, that costs as much as our home did when we bought it. And I'm like, I rebuke you, devil. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I looked at that. I was like, that's what our house cost to buy a, a modern replacement of what our truck was. I was like, that's what our house cost with, with our closing cost and everything else. I'm like, no, I'm not living in that the rest of my life. Um, but that's the thing is, like, we, we want, oh, God, I need this. I have to have this. And he's like, this is going to set you to ruin. And what happens is we always want our desires to go with what we want our desires to be God's desires for us. And it, what happens is, is we're like, God, I want you to do this for me. And he's like, well, that's probably not going to be beneficial to your life. Probably not going to be beneficial to your marriage, your kids, everything else. But what we do is we... we jump into it, and we go, okay, God, I just bought this, and now I need you to bless this. Or I decided to go into this, and I need you to bless this. He's like, but you stepped out of my blessing because you chose to do something that wasn't smart, that wasn't planned for you. And that's why I said we, sometimes we have to realign ourselves what God is saying. God, what are you saying? It's like when you go out to buy a new vehicle, it's like, okay, God, what do you want? We've bought some weird vehicles just because we felt like that's what God has asked us to buy. And it's like, okay. And what's funny is, is this. One time we bought a car, and um, we bought a Mazda, bought it for like, I don't know, three grand. It got in an accident. We got like $5,500 for it. I'm like, how do you get, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, they don't know the transmission was going out. I was having bearing problems in the back. I'm like, that's fine. But. Yeah, God had us buy a lemon, and it paid us off. And we were like, oh, we bought a better car with it. And every time we, that we've had an issue with a car, we've always upgraded in our car because God has always blessed us. But we paid attention to what he was saying to us when we were doing that. We've test drove cars. We're like, oh, this is really nice. And we're just like, no. There's sometimes where Sarah gets in a car. She puts it, she's like, nope, gets out immediately. And just, I'm like, oh, the person thinks we're like super rude. Like, like but, yeah, we've gotten in cars that were way out of our price range, but God says, oh, by the way, and then he gives us wisdom, and boom, we get a car that's more than what we can afford, but he brings it to what we need it to be. But it's just accessing his wisdom, laying down, what, say, God, it's not what I want. I want, you know, for me, it would be like, oh, I want this, this, and this, and God's like, but that's not profitable for you. And so it's me laying down my desires and saying, God, give me what I need, not what I want sometimes. God, give me what you want me to have that will benefit me. Because everybody, you know, if, if, any of you guys ever had car trouble? Yes. Do you drive? Yeah, do you drive? Um, the thing is, is we could immediately go out and buy a brand new vehicle. 
or a new to you vehicle and say, okay, well, I want something that's this because I don't have to worry about this. But God's like, well, maybe you should listen to what I have to say. And sometimes we just have to say, God, it's not, this is what I, I need this, God. What do you want me to have? Not what I want. I need you to want that, what I want. Exactly. When we give up our desires, he replaces them with his desires. Because what it does, it doesn't, our desires benefit us, but his desires benefit people around us. And that's what we, we lose sight of. We lose sight of the people around us. We always focus, we tend to focus on ourselves. We're selfish human beings. We're, we're always like, how, how are my needs getting met? But God says, how can I use you to meet the needs of other people? But what happens is we tend to start to lean into, well, I need this because this would make me happy. God's like, I'm not concerned about your happiness. Does anybody know that? He's not really concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your welfare. He's concerned about your soul. He's concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. So we have to lay our desires down at his feet. And he will replace our desires with what he wants. And then we start to see, like he starts to see, and we start to see people that are in need, people that are hurting, that we can say, okay, hey, now I can take the time to minister to these people. How many of you guys remember your life before Jesus? Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot, a lot of you have come from really rough, past, past that were not the best, where you lived your own life, you lived how you want. Some of you came from church. You grew up in church and you were a normal human being that lived in church. No, I mean, how many of you guys grew up in church? You grew up in church. Yes. But you didn't realize, but you grew up not realizing that there's no difference between you and the person that didn't. What happens is is this. His grace is sufficient for everybody. And what happens is is he takes the worst and makes them into his image. He takes the one that thinks that they're okay because they grew up in that and brings them and, and teaches them and brings them into his own image. What happens is this. The one who's been far from God most of their, a lot of their life, really rejoices and sees how good God is when they come to him. Amen. It's the ones that have spent most of their time in religion that don't understand it. And like, well, well I grew up in church. I was this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church, if you lived at church. I mean, my, my girls have been doing church since they were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. But Layla was, Layla was two, and Lana was still you know, in the womb, and we were in, when we started doing things, but you know what, we made sure that it wasn't a religious act for them. Yeah. We wanted them to have a relationship with God and experience God for themselves, not, well, you come to church because that's what we do as a family. Yeah. I know people that would NyQuil their kid up to bring them to church because they had to be at church. 
We have to be at church. We have to look good as a family at church. Screw that. I'm sorry, if your kid's sick, leave them home. Why are we so concerned about how we look to other people? That's called the fear of man. Well, oh, your kid's, not, oh, your kid's home? Oh, where's your wife? Oh, they're home with the kid. Oh, okay, we're praying for them. Instead, you drag your child to a place because you're afraid of what it will look like if you show up by yourself. And this person is listening to this. They'll get over it. No, they're not in this room. It's okay. But what happens is, is if we're so afraid to say something, not show up, to have our family look good at church, you're only there to look good at church. If your kid is sick and needs to stay home, let them stay home. It's not going to matter. God doesn't go, oh, your family's not all together. You don't look good to people. That is the fear of man in church. That is the idea of that I have to look a certain way in order to go to church. What happens is, is people are like, oh, I love God. I love Jesus. They'll say that, oh, I love him with their, their words. But they deny him with their actions. Because what happens is, is this, like, I have to look good at church. I have to say this. I have to look this way. I have to say, you know, all the right church phrases to go to church. But when I get out of church, all hell breaks loose. What happens is, is they, oh, I love Jesus, I go to church. But what they don't do is they don't actually live that out when they go out during the week. They love God, but they deny him with their actions. They're afraid to say anything. I work with people, and if they're listening to this, you'll get over it. Um, I, don't even care. I don't even care. I don't even care. At this point, we've got to quit worrying about what we say at work. They're like, they'll try to just not, they don't want, they beat around the bush when it comes to God. They're like, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, they, they never actually just say, I'm a Christian, and this is what I believe. They don't want to offend anybody. Oh, we just don't want to offend anybody with our beliefs, our, our, our values, you know. We just got to, I'm like, you all need to grow up. Grow a backbone. If we're afraid to say that we're a Christian at work, then we don't need to grow a spine. And I'm sorry, if you don't like that, get over it. The problem is, is we have too many Christians going out there flipping people off while they're driving. You know, how many, you know how many drivers I've been flipped off for that have certain bumper stickers from certain churches in this certain county? And I'm like, wow. It's like we, made, we have made too many Christian donkeys out there that are out there with a bumper sticker saying, I go to this church, but you're pulling out in front of people, swearing at people and flipping people off when you're driving. I'm like, I know your car wasn't stolen. I'm like, so. <laughs> the problem is they go to church. They look all good. They got their nice clothes on when they go to church. They, they, were, they always dress really nice to go to church. But when they're out on the road, out in public, it's like, do you, do you even know God? The way you act, the way you carry yourself, the way you talk to people. What's funny is, is this, is I've had 
I've been able to experience pastors from all over the, the few counties here, Oceana, Lake, um, Mason, Nuego County. I've been able to experience these pastors in public without them knowing who I am. Here's the thing is, I've been appalled by the way some of these people act in public. Listening to the way they talk to people in public, the way they carry themselves in public. I'm not perfect, I'm, but you, what you see is what you get. And I'm like, how can you go and preach on a Sunday and then treat somebody who does not know you like they are just trash? Like they are something to be, they're someone to serve you. And it's sad because we have people out there that are representing the gospel that are one way in front of everybody. And when they go out and they think no one is paying attention, that when they don't get their way, they throw a fit. They cheat people out of money and different things like that. And I'm just like, this is what is wrong with people. They acknowledge God with their lips and deny him with their actions. They're afraid to, people are afraid to talk about God in the workplace. And I'm not saying you have to go and, you know, that's all you talk about. But there can be moments where you can bring up God. Yeah. There are moments when you can just speak about what God has done for you. You don't have to say, oh, you need Jesus. You better repent. No. You just talk to him and say, hey, this is what God has done for me. I'm, t I'm telling you right now, if you're afraid to offend someone with what you believe, you need to take some time and you need to reevaluate your relationship with God and you need to pray that you have boldness and ask him for boldness. I'm not saying you go out and just, you know, hold a lighter over somebody's hand and be like, this is what hell's like. No, no, please don't. Don't, don't be stupid. There's too many morons that out there that do that. But what I'm saying is, is if you're afraid to speak about God when someone is going through something and say, hey, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? What do you need? And just be able to minister to them for five minutes. You need to sit down and have a conversation with God. And you need to say, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of what man is going to think about me? Everything in the Bible is offensive. It is offensive to sin. It is offensive to our nature as a human being. Romans 1, 16 through 17. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For it is righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is writing, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing a church that is the, the heart of Rome. It is the capital of the Roman Empire, and they're Christians there, and he's like, okay, hey, I'm writing you this because you're going through some stuff right now. The church was going through persecution. They were getting, you know, tortured, murdered. You know, churches were being torn apart. And what Paul's doing, he's writing them, 
and saying, hey, Paul is a Roman citizen, so he has full access to go to Rome. He's saying, hey, I wanted to be with, there with you, but I can't right now. But he's reminding them, he says, don't be, he goes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's telling them, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to live it out in your life. You know, we, we look at scripture and we say, well, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel, but are you willing to talk about it? Are you willing to tell people that God loves them enough to bring them out of what they're doing? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 33, says, but whoever denies me before men will deny, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. And I'm not saying that you made a mistake and he's like, oh, by the way, you've denied me. What I'm saying is, is this, if someone comes up to you and says, are you a Christian? Oh, well, you know, I go to church. You know, you dance around the topic. I go to church, I believe, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not really religious. You know, you do that little dance, that song and dance to, to kind of skirt around the issue of just being bold and saying, hey, I'm a Christian. This is what I believe in. So what I want you guys to think about this is as we go out this week, you know, we can say, oh, I'm a Christian. But does our, the way we speak and talk when we're at work, when we're out, reflect the values that we say we hold? Is the way that we work, is the way that we raise our families, treat our, our spouses, the way that we act when we're in public, does it reflect the values that we say we hold? You know, are we like, oh, I'm a Christian, and then you're like, F that, and blah, 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 that, and that person was this. I mean, the world can spot a hypocrite really quick. You're like, oh, I'm a Christian, but then you're like, and they're like, they say they're a Christian, but they do this, 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 and this. Here's the thing is, the moment they say they're a Christian, you're under a microscope. They got the magnifying glass out there, microscope going, okay, they said they're this, but how are they this? Do they live like they say they live? My wife said to me, she goes, sometimes your personality is offensive. And I said, I'm sorry, but I'm not. I don't have a lot of Yes, yes, yes. So what happens is, is this, is I don't have a lot of room for flip-flopping. I don't give a lot of room for that in my life. Either I'm just a jerk right now or I'm good. And I either have to, I can't operate one or the other. <laughs> so sometimes I'm a jerk and I have to say, hey, I'm sorry, I was a jerk. But I also have to say, okay, if I give myself the ability to be complacent, give myself this little bit of room to just live how I want to live, but still say, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. What I'm doing is I'm creating this, this gray area of me where it's compromise. And I can live how I want to live here. And I live this way when I'm at church, and then I have my compromise area, and then I'm this way when I'm at work. But there's always this just gray area where I can step into, and I feel 
Like I can just say what I want to say when I'm around certain people because they allow it and they don't hold me accountable for things. But when I step here, I'm like, oh, Jesus, you're so good. I love him. You know? And when then you step back into work, you're like, I'm a Christian. But then you have that gray area where you're just like, nah, I just want to live how I want to live. I want to do what I want to do. And if someone calls me out, I'd be like, well, you can't. I'm a Christian. It says the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed to live by faith, basically what he's saying. He goes, I trust that God is who he says he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And I think what happens sometimes is I'm watching this in the world in it. Like Sarah and I, John and Donna's got to experience it on Friday, kind of where our heart is at right now and what, what, what we're doing um, and where God is leading us as a church and what he's leading us as a couple because there's, there's a, there's a um, unrest in us. Because what happens is, is we're seeing where our culture is going, what, where the churches are going. We're saying there's, not a, there's no time to play church anymore. Amen. There's no time to just show up to church and be like, oh, I feel, you know, I feel good when I come to church. Well, that's great. What are you doing? We can't sit any longer and just say, okay, well, I feel good when I come to church. There's some action that has to come along with believing. There's some action that has to come along with you following Christ. I'm not saying you can't sit and rest and spend some time, but there's a, there's a, 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 a cutoff point where it's like... Don't tolerate things that yeah. look like God that are not God. Yes. There's an old phrase that you either go or get out and... It's t there's time where in this season of church, in this season of what God is doing in the church, it is going to be uncomfortable. If you are not in surrender to Christ, it is going to be uncomfortable. It is going to look and it's going to feel different. And I'm letting you know right now, whatever God is doing, and I'm not sure, fully aware or sure of what God is doing, but I know where he is leading and what he is doing, it is going to be uncomfortable. And I'm telling you right now, you better get uncomfortable now before it becomes too uncomfortable when it happens. God is starting something that is going to start to change the structure of what church looks like, what, it's, what happens. And if you are un not uncomfortable with your relationship with him now and the way you are following him now and serving him now, you better start to change that. Say, God, make me uncomfortable. Because what church is going to look like and what church will look like is not going to be comfortable if you are comfortable in church. So when you are in a relationship with God, it is going to be uncomfortable. And if you are comfortable in that relationship, there's some part of communication and some part of a disconnect with him. Because he's going to ask you to do things that are uncomfortable. He's going to ask you to do things that are not of the normal. And when he's asking you that, you have to say, yes, I'm willing to do that. Church is not always going to look like pews, red carpet, stained glass windows. There is a 
there is a reformation coming in the body because it, there was a reformation in the, in, with Martin Luther, but it was in word and not deed, and now it is going to be in deed. And what's going to look like church now is not what church is going to look like in a few years. It is not going to be contained within four walls. We are going to start to scale away all the, the things that are for your entertainment. And I'm not talking about our church, but God is going to start to scale away and cut away all the things that are for your entertainment and for your pleasure. And it's going to get down to what God is doing on this earth, not what you want to do. And this is going to look hard. Here's what's happening. Is this is going to look different, and it's going to look tough, and it's going to be tough for some of you because what you thought church was going to be and you thought some of the people that were going to be with you in church are no longer going to be with you in church. The people that you thought loved God and are going to follow God are no longer going to be following God and loving God because they don't want it to be that way. They want it to be well, like back in my day, we just did this, and this is how church used to be. This is, we just did it this way. We needed to do it for this long. We've done it for, this, for so long this way. We just need to keep doing it this way. It, 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 it worked for us. What's happening is God's saying what worked is no longer working and it is time to refire re the, the forges and start to, to see what God is doing. It's time to, to, to purify what the church should look like. God doesn't want us just to come for our enjoyment. It is great to, when we come together to, to spend time with each other, to pray with each other, to love each other and say, okay, how can I pray with you? What, what do you need? But it is not for our enjoyment. Our, our time to come here is to worship him, to hear what he has to say. And our, and our time is to, is to be ministering to one another, not being ministered to. So when we look at, um, let's do it this way, uh, five-fold ministry. When we look at a pastor, teacher, evangelist, um, we look at a, a pastor. A pastor is to care for the shepherd, or care, the shepherd is supposed to care for the flock. Mm -hmm. they, they're not meant to, um, they're meant to make, make sure their basic needs are taken care of. Um, a evangelist is meant to go gather and to bring people in. They're going to pray with people. They're going to bring people into the church. A teacher is there to minister to the body, which means that they're going to teach the body. They're there to um, encourage, build up, which everybody should be doing. But what they're there to do is to um, feed the body to make sure that they're healthy. But teaching is different than ministering. So teaching the body is, okay, I'm going to teach you biblical truths so you can apply them to your life. So I, me, I'm teaching right now. I'm teaching you biblical truth so you can apply them to your life. I'm giving you the truth of the word of God so you can apply it to your life. Ministering to a person is different. So ministering to a person is like, okay, I'm going through something, and we're going okay, to spend some time. We're going to pray with you. We're going we're gonna, um, to yeah, we're gonna focus on this person. We're, we're going to focus on this group of people, and we're going to minister to them because God needs to do something specific for them in this time. What happens is, is this is, Teaching and preaching should be happening 
in church. Ministering is your job, guys' job to minister to the people around you. So these people that you see around you, your job is to minister to each other and to minister to the world, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, it can. People to pray for yes, us yeah. You, there's going to be times. How many of you guys ever had, had anybody pray for you at church? Yeah. That was being ministered to. That was someone ministering to you and allowing God's, God to work in your life. And we need those moments. Yeah. But what church is, it looks like now, and I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the, the, the church as a whole, is going to start to look different. And it's going to look radically different because God is changing things and he's quickening things and he's cutting things off. And what's going to happen is, is this, is the party mentality of I come here to get my coffee. I come here to get what I need, what I want. I feel good when I'm here. That mentality is going to start to be cut off. I want you to be comfortable when you come here. That's why we give you a chair. Um, yes, if we didn't put a chair up, would you still come? If we didn't have coffee, which it's not Starbucks, but it's still good coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I'm guessing it's good. Yeah. Yeah. If your children had to sit in here with you and we didn't have childcare, would you still come? If we had to meet in a home, would you still come? If we didn't have lights and didn't have all this stuff, would you still come? And I think what's happening now is God is slicing off some of the things. And what, what's happening is this, is we need revival in the church and we need an awakening in the world. Yes. Revival happen, is going to happen in our church. It's going, to, it's going to, to start to change the way we see things and do things. But what we need in our world is an awakening to who Jesus is, that he loves people. He's not just there to, to give them rules and regulations. He's there because I, he loves them. And it says in the scripture, it says that when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. You know, I, I, I grew up in a really freaking screwed up home. Um, we went to church, but it was no, there was no anything besides just church. It, it was pray, we prayed in the home for dinner and at night before we went to bed and we went to church. But that was it. There was no discipleship. There was no, this is who God is. This is how we're supposed to live and this is how we're supposed to, to follow him. And my parents loved them, but they had their own issues. And I understand why we didn't get that because they had their own issues that they could not deal with themselves. And I don't, I don't hold that against them, but it was a messed up family. And... I didn't start to understand, even though I went to church for years, I didn't start to understand until my late teens of who God was and what it actually meant to follow him. Because I grew up, well, it's like, if you were an 80s or 90s baby, your parents just threw you in, in Christian school because they didn't want to have to deal with the public schools. I'm sorry, I met more heathens and heathen teachers in Christian schools and I, than I ever did. I wouldn't put my kids in Christian school. I'm like, I'm not putting my kids in the bunch of unbelieving hypocrites in there saying that they're like, oh, we love God, but they treat kids like crap. If you have your kid in a Christian school, make sure you heard from the Lord. Yeah, make sure you heard from the Lord on that one. 
Because what are your kids being taught? What are your kids believing? There is a value system that you have to put into your children before you put them into school. Because whatever value system that they have at school, whether it's Christian, non-Christian, parochial school, whatever it is, they're going to put a value system into them. And you better be sure that you, have a va that you have a value system in your child and you are constantly reinforcing that value system into them because you, your kid comes home one day and says, well, teacher says that God doesn't heal people anymore. Slap that child. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 don't. Don't, don't slap your No, do not slap your child. Find out who the teacher is. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm, kidding. I'm not condoning slapping teachers unless you know but what I'm saying is, is this, is reinforce the values before you send them out. There's a phrase that a, a preacher says. He goes, why do you think when you send your child to see the Caesar, they come back as Romans? We send our kids out into places that we think are safe places for spiritual growth. And we, they come back and we're like, I don't even recognize them because they're coming back. Because for eight hours a day, they may be indoctrinated with what a contrary belief of what you believe. So you start to reevaluate and say, what is safe for my kids? What is a good place for my kids? But Jesus said, you know, give up your life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. What he's saying is, is give me your life. It's not always going to be sunshine and roses and, you know, but if you give me your life, I'll work with it. You know, I, we've spent years talking with people that have gone through the worst things they possibly can go through. And what happens is, is this, and I found that when they say, you know what, I'm going to follow what God asked me to do, things change. Their lives change. And we've also counseled a lot of people, and they said, oh, blah, 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 this is so bad, what do I do? Give it to God, follow God, and do it, see what he'll do. When they don't do it, they go down that rabbit hole. But when he said, he goes, in John 3, 16, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That says when he gave, that means he gave his son for us, a gift to us. So that when we believe in him and we give our lives to him, we have relationship with God. This is something that we need to reinforce with, with our families from day one. You know, when our kids were little, we would sing them those songs because we wanted their identity to start from the day they were born, not waiting until they're you know, 10, 12 years old, wondering why they're struggling with everything. We put in our kids a foundation. Did we screw them up a little bit? Yeah, we screwed them up a little bit, you know? But it's okay. They still love us, right? Okay, good. Um, just, just double checking there, okay? But that's the thing is, like, we put a foundation inside of them from the day they were born, and we said, we're not gonna compromise because we know what it's like to live outside of Christ. We know what it's like to live in depression and broken homes and, and everything like that. And so we said, you know what, we're going to give our kid that foundation that we made sure that they were 
gave their life to Christ at a young age. We didn't like coerce them, like give your life to Christ and punch you in the face. We trained them so they could understand who God was. But it says that Jesus died for us to take our sins, all of our struggle, all of our pain upon him so we wouldn't have to carry that. And I think sometimes we forget that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, God had a plan before that and said, I'm going to send my son to die so that you can have a, a life with me. And, and too many times we take that for granted and we forget the value of that he gave his, the life of his son for us. That But when he was crucified, buried, rose again is where I think we spend too much time talking about the cross and we don't spend enough time talking about the resurrection when he was, born, he was raised to life and defeated it, defeated hell, defeated sin, defeated death for us so we could have a life with him. But here's the, th here's the thing is, if Jesus just died, it wouldn't have given us eternal life. He had to be brought back to life for us to have eternal life. Because if he had died, we would have died. And now that he says, hey, I gave my life for you, all you have to do is give me your life. That can be hard sometimes, but I think when we, we get to that point, we're just saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't do my own life, my life on my own. How many of you guys have ever screwed your own life up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you ever got in trouble for doing something stupid? I mean, I'm married, so I'm just like, you know, that happens all the time. But it doesn't matter what you've done. He says, when you believe on my son, I'll take that from you. It says, um, what scripture is it? It says, if you confess Jesus as Lord, he is faithful to forgive. That's the thing is he's faithful. When we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And I think sometimes we just need to call upon him again. Just say, man, I, I called upon you, and, but I screwed my life up. I need you to take over again. Let's pray.